Well, thank you so much for being with us on this Easter. My name is Zach Thompson. I'm on staff here at Calvary, and this is a day of celebration, where it is that we celebrate, well, the same thing that we celebrate every Sunday. And in fact, every day that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. We celebrate the truth that, that we just had read for us uh, in Luke 24, uh, starting in verse 46. This is what was just read. Thus it was written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, in Jesus' name, to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Because this is what we see the Bible promises to us, that while God has created every person, we've, we've all turned away from him. We've all gone our own directions. And the, the result of that, us turning away from God, is, is this world that we have, which is so full of many wonderful things. And it's also full of hardships and pains and disappointments. It's full of us spending our lives trying to figure out what is it that we're supposed to do? What is it that, that my purpose is? What is, what is uh, it that I'm supposed to be doing with my life? We spend our lives trying to answer these questions. And yet we also see another promise throughout God's word to us that God himself, not by anything that we have done, but God himself makes a way for us to turn back to him. That there is repentance, as our passage just said. There is forgiveness of sins, as our passage just said, as we are able to be reunited, connected to our source, connected to this God who so loves us that he's willing to die for us. That the truth of this passage is because the Christ suffered, and on the third day rose again. For me, for you, for, for all. This is what we say is, is the best of stories. This is good news for all people. Maybe, maybe that's a phrase that we might remember from the Christmas story. That as Jesus is born, this proclamation is given that this is good news for all people. And the reason why it's good news we find out on Easter Sunday because what makes the story good, what makes this the best of stories is that it is a story of restoration for the turning back to God, the forgiveness of sins, for repentance. And it's a story of restoration, the restoration of people, that we are once again brought near to our God who made us and loves us and cares for us, who guides us, who's in control of all things, that we are restored. We spend so much of our lives trying to, trying to figure out what do we do? What is our purpose in this life? And we find the restoration of people because the tomb is empty. It's the, what makes the story good is it's the restoration of this world, that God is in control, that he is working now to this day that he will make all things right, that he will make all things new. And we see that to be true because the tomb is empty. What makes this story good is it's the restoration of hope that in the midst of living and we can feel so aimless and hopeless at times that there is true and lasting hope because the tomb is empty, because the Christ suffered and on the third day rose again. This is a story that Christians cling to on this day. It's what unites us as Christians around this world are singing songs in Jesus' name today. It's what unites us to 2,000 years of Christians who have found restoration in this Jesus. 
It's a story that we cling to every single day as it so shapes us. The Christ suffered and on the third day rose from the dead. But I'm not naive. I, I recognize that just because someone comes through those doors, whether it's on Easter Sunday or, I don't know, Sunday, April 30th, whatever day it might be, that I'm not naive to think that we all respond to this, this story in the same way. That there might be a variety of ways that we respond. And in fact, this is one of the things that I love about the Bible. What I love about God's word is that it captures what we see in life. That this, this book that's given to us that shows us who God is, who we are, how we are to live in this life, it captures so much of life. I know people have, have various ideas about what the Bible is. It could just be seen as this, this old book that has no relevance today could just be seen as full of myth or, or whatever it is that, that people might be, uh, believe about. But the more that I read what God has for us in it, the more that I see it capturing what is real about life now. Because in this chapter, in Luke chapter 24, you see a variety of responses to the empty tomb. That in this chapter that we are in, there are so many different responses, even by those who were closest to Jesus, his most loyal followers, you see a variety of responses to the Easter story that might match with how we are responding to it. And so I just want to center our time around this one question. How do we respond to Easter? We've spent time singing, we've read passages, we've, we've heard about God's love, we've heard about how he keeps his promises, we've heard about the power that he has, how he's bringing restoration of people, of the world, of hope. We're hearing all of this, how do we respond to Easter? Well, the first response that, that is given to us in Luke 24, it, that might be how we're responding as well, is what was read at the very beginning of the service. These two women are going to this, uh, this group of women are, are going to this tomb. They, they are concerned about how Jesus was treated. They're wondering, was he buried honorably? And so they want to give him an honorable burial. And they show up and they're the first witnesses to the story of the resurrection. And yet they re respond in a way that, that is a little bit different. This is what we read in Luke 24 starting in verse four. It says, and while they, this group of women, were perplexed about this, they see the empty tomb. They don't see Jesus' body and they're perplexed about this. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I find this really interesting. The, these, this group of women uh, who were close to Jesus, who were following him, who had, uh, who had spent so much time with him, they are the first witnesses to the empty tomb, to Jesus' body being, uh, not being there. And rather than getting what we might expect, which is this declaration, this celebration, yes, he's done it. Jesus has promised that this would happen and he's kept his promise R rather than saying, yes, he said the tomb would be empty and here it is. Their response instead is, wait, what's going on? What's happened here? And maybe we respond to the story in the same way. We're talking about this good news that's for all people. We're spending so much time saying why this is a celebration there's smiles, there's, there's secret phrases that people are exchanging where one says he is risen, the other person says he is risen indeed. Why is all this happening? We've said how Jesus brings restoration. 
We've said how this is God showing his love for us and we might be sitting here perplexed thinking, why are we celebrating? Why is this story good news? Why does this matter? What is it that we're saved from? I wanna keep reading and, and we might be able to see a couple pieces of firm foundation to grasp hold onto while we might be perplexed. In verse four, it ended by these two men standing in front of these women in dazzling apparel. Verse five, these men speak and, they, and as, they were, as the women were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the, mid said, uh, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from these, uh, the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, to Jesus' closest followers and to all the rest. We're saying how this is a perplexing story, how uh, so many people around the world are spending this day celebrating. We might be wondering why. And just as the words continue, as, as these men speak, I, I think there's a couple pieces that might help us to understand why this is a day of celebration. The men start by saying, remember what Jesus said, how he said exactly how this was gonna happen and it's played out exactly in that way. If nothing else, in the midst of feeling perplexed about this passage, we can hold on to this piece that God keeps his promises, that what he said would happen came to pass exactly in that same way. What, what he said he was going to do, he has done. He has promised restoration. He has promised to save us from our turning away. He has promised to give us a way to be back to our God who created us and loves us and gives us guidance in this world when it can feel so aimless at times. God has promised to do that and by the tomb being empty, it shows he has kept his promise. If nothing else, we can hold on to that truth. But we see as well in this passage, the power of God, how powerful of God he is, that he isn't just well-meaning, well-intentioned, like, oh, I would love to be able to keep this promise. I would love to be able to do this for you. He can accomplish all he sets his mind to. And we see that, and we see his power by being greater even than death. We are a people who are marked by a fear of death. We, we may not admit that, but I, I think of even how we've renamed funerals to celebration of life, rather than it being a time of acknowledging, I have lost someone I care about. We're just gonna look at what was good about their life. Or we try to hide the effects of aging. We, we try to do whatever we can to avoid the truth that we will all die. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I think those are mostly good things. I, I think it more goes to show, look at all that we do to avoid death, how fearful we are, are of it. And yet God embraced death, willingly went to die on our behalf, willingly went to take on what we're so fearful of as a demonstration, as the uttermost demonstration of his power of his love for you, that he is a God who's willing to die for you. And he did exactly that. Maybe we respond to this story in a different way. We hear of someone being raised back from the dead and, and we say, well, that's not possible. Those sort of things don't happen. 
Maybe back in biblical times, people had an easier time believing in such a story as that, but, but that, what, knowing what we know, that, that sort of thing doesn't happen. And, and we get to an interesting reaction as the women run back from the empty tomb and they're telling Jesus' closest disciples, his closest followers, what they've seen, what they've been told, what they remember Jesus promised to do. This is how they react in verse 11. His closest followers say, but these words seem to them an idle tale. It's a nice story, but that's not real. That didn't happen. It seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Jesus' closest followers were the first skeptics of the Easter story. The idea that someone doesn't come back from the dead, they would say, yeah, that's 100% true. That doesn't happen. And in fact, what we would all say, we would all agree with that position. People do not come back from the dead, which makes it all the more shocking and surprising and earth-shattering that one person did. Christians above anyone else ought to be more skeptical of people saying someone's come back from the dead. Because what makes this story so significant is how unique it is. But the idea is that, that people would have believed it easier back then. I don't, I don't think that's true. At the time, people had just as much reason to be skeptical of the story as we do. You look at the the dominant culture at the time, in the first century, where Jesus was at this time, uh, you had these two cultures uh, in the area. Rome was the dominant power, and Greco-Roman culture uh, did not have a category for bodies, human bodies, coming back from the dead. They believed in a soul, a spirit, whatever you want to call it. They, They thought that that would go on living, but the idea of it coming back to life with a body, not only was that impossible, it was insulting. Bodies were seen as as this lesser part. This was humanity in its purest form as the soul, spirit, whatever it is. But being brought as a body, that's a disgusting thought. For the Jewish culture at the time as well, there was a belief in bodily resurrection. The bodies could come back from the dead. But that was something that was supposed to happen at the end of the world, at the end of all time. And it was something that was supposed to happen for every single person. So the idea that it would happen before that that it would happen on such a small scale, well, that's impossible. That's not how it's supposed to work. And so we have these disciples growing up in this culture, knowing that bodies do not come back from the dead, let alone three days after they were buried. Of course, they're not gonna believe this story. And the thought of someone trying to tell them that this has happened, well, that would be so offensive to them. They had put their trust in this Jesus. They had hoped that in him would be restoration, that there would be life, that there would be something, and they saw him die. Why are you saying that things are different? It's over. We thought something would happen with him, but there's nothing else for us to expect. He's gone, he's dead. Let's find something else to do. They had just as much reason to be skeptical of the story as we might be. So I I like in that context, with that being the mindset here, as we see these disciples be skeptical of the stories, I I think it brings out even more how how wonderful and and somewhat funny the phrase of these two men is uh, to the women. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? 
There's kind of two sides of this. One of them is, why are you you believing this cultural idea? Why are you so hesitant to believe this? Uh, Of course, uh, he is going to do what he promised. Why are you still thinking that he is in the grave after all that he said, after all you saw him do? Why are you still stuck in that mindset? The other side of it that's humorous is, why are you looking for something in some place where it would never be found? The living are not amongst the dead. Why are you looking for something where it could not possibly be found? Why are you looking for a new car amongst the cubes of crushed up vehicles? Why are you looking for timber, for lumber to build your house and someone else's fireplace? Why are you looking for something edible on Raising Cain's menu? It's just you do not find something like that in that place. And I think about us as people like how much we try to find signs of life, something life-giving to us, how much we've spent our time trying to find something that gives us meaning, something that gives us purpose. It's as if we're trying to find the living among the dead. Because what's beautiful about the Easter story is not that there are some people in this world who's finally found it, that they went on some sort of quest or journey or they did something that I have discovered the truth of it all. No, no, no. The beauty of the Easter story is that Jesus, the alive Jesus, has revealed this truth. Not something that I've discovered, that somehow I'm better than others for discovering. No, nothing, nothing like that at all. But Jesus, the alive Jesus, did and still does reveal that he did and still does live. He did and still does bring life to people. Why do we look for the living amongst the dead? Because it's in Jesus now that we find life. So why turn anywhere else? There's another response coming right after this. In verse 12, it says, but Peter rose and ran from the tomb, stooping and looking in, and saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So where this group of Jesus' closest followers say, this is an idle tale, this can't possibly be true, one of them, Peter, ran to go and see for himself, and he sees the empty tomb. He sees signs that Jesus has been raised to life, and he goes home marveling that day. And I wonder if we might respond to Easter in that same way. We're spending this day singing songs, wearing pastel colors, celebrating what's happened, thinking that this is incredible, and then tomorrow we go back to work, or we go back to school, or we just go about our lives. Now again, I'm not saying that's wrong. If, you, if you're supposed to be at work tomorrow, please go to work tomorrow. Uh, I, I don't wanna be told that attendance has dropped amongst Calvary kids. Uh, the idea though is how can we hear of what Jesus has done? How can we hear of this lavishly pouring out of love that Jesus has done for us and act so unmoved to just go about our lives, to just go home saying, that was great, and be untouched by the story of this truth, of this empty tomb. It makes it seem as though we aren't understanding how good this good news is. Another response that we had read for us uh, just a few moments ago by, by Weston, um, Jesus had appealed, uh, appeared to multiple of his disciples, to, to the women, to uh, people in turn, and then he appears to all of them at once. And then this is how they respond in verse 41. 
It says, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Jesus is right there in front of them and they still disbelieve for joy. It's a very fascinating phrase. The idea is that, oh, it's too good to be true. They had to put their hope in Jesus and now he is standing in front of them even after he had died. They thought that in him was going to be restoration and now here he is again. They, they thought that, that, uh, that, that they put their hopes in this Jesus and they were dashed, but now they might be back again, but can they really? It just seems too good to be true. And maybe we're responding in the same way. We've talked about how much a God loves us that he's willing to die for us. We've talked about how in him there's restoration, restoration of people, the world, restoration of hope for there to be something that we can cling on to. We've talked about how this world is gonna be made new again. We've talked about how we are given direction in life. We've talked about how we have a secure future because of Jesus. We've talked about how this is good news for all people. It sure sounds too good to be true. Can this really happen? Because it sounds a little bit like our movies, the stories that we love, the stories that we tell, the, the movies that do so well in the box office where there's something in the world that causes it to go terribly, terribly wrong and we need someone or someones to go and make things right once again. This could be someone who can shrink down to the size of an ant or grow to astronomical heights. This could be someone who can bend time and reality, travel across multiverses. It could be an alien who comes to this planet wielding thunder and a hammer or maybe some sort of combination of all of them. Uh, they, they come to, to face off against some e evil, or you could say avenge some evil uh, to make things right in this world. Would they defeat this person who's made things bad and everything is made right again at the end? Or it's why we keep on the rebel scum in Star Wars. It's why we, we rejoice as people are stopped from exploiting the planet Pandora. It's why we love the words of Sam Gamgee after the one ring is destroyed when he says, is everything sad going to become untrue? We love the stories where everything sad becomes untrue. And more, I think, than just it being blind hope of saying, wouldn't it be great if that happened in our world? But of course, it's just not going to. Rather than it just being blind hope, I think it's hardwired into us to love those stories as a taste, as a pointer to the real thing, where everything in this world does become untrue because the tomb is empty because of what we've, sa we've said, that the Christ suffered and on the third day rose again. And by him doing that, that starts to make all that's sad in this world come untrue. There's one final response that I wanna draw our attention to from this chapter. Jesus had appeared, or the tomb was found empty by the women and they were perplexed. They went and told Jesus' closest followers and they did not believe it was true. Peter ran and marveled at it, but just went about his day afterwards. His disciples think it's all too good to be true. But there's one other response that I wanna draw our attention to. Where two of Jesus' disciples are walking down this road and a man that they don't recognize 
comes near to them. We're told it's Jesus, and for some reason, they don't recognize him. And this man asks them this question of, of what is it that they're talking about? And you get this really sarcastic response from them. It's like, what are we talking about? Are you the only person who doesn't know about Jesus? About how he died? About how he was killed? And we're hearing these stories about how he's been brought back to life and we don't know what to do with it? And then we get to the heart of, of their anguish in verse 21. It says, but we had hoped. We had hoped. We thought he was gonna be the one. We, we put our trust in him. We had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, to bring restoration. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. So what hope is there left to have? He's been dead, dead for three days. There's no coming back from that. Moreover, some of our women, uh, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they even had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went down to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see him. And he, this Jesus walking with them, said, oh foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, beginning with the Old Testament, the early parts of God's Bible, and moving forward, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village and where these two men were going. And Jesus acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. And he went in to stay with them and Jesus was at the table with them and he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures. Then they go and they run out that same hour to tell others what they saw. Did not our hearts burn within us, they said. I so love that phrase because in this moment they are confronted with the significance of Jesus' death, of the purpose of his suffering, of the truth of the empty tomb. Their eyes are open to the risen Jesus. There's the realization in that moment that in a, in a world that's full of chaos, that God is absolutely in control, that there is evidence then as well as now that God is and will always be working in this world. Did not our hearts burn? And the response of this is that it changes every bit of who they are. Their lives are completely, drastically changed for the better because of this. They go for th from thinking that they misplaced their hope in him. Oh, we had hoped that he would be the one, but that must not be true anymore. They go from thinking that to realize that it's only in Jesus that there is real and lasting hope. They go from, uh, from thinking that, that wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus could have restored things, if he could have made things just a little bit better, they go from thinking, wouldn't it have been nice to see that in Jesus there is real and lasting restoration of all things. 
They go from sadness to joy, to aimlessly walking down this road, to sprinting to tell others about Jesus. They are completely changed by the truth of the empty tomb. And we see that same transformation take place in all of Jesus' disciples, all of those who are closest to him. They go from denying him to boldly proclaiming the truth of his resurrection. They, they go from just merely going about their day afterwards to having their lives centered on the truth that Jesus has come back. They, they go from fearful to bold. They, they go from denying to belief. Everything about them changed because Jesus suffered and on the third day rose from the grave. And what other possible response is there than that? I, I really like how uh, historian Yaroslav uh, Pelikan, yes, his last name's Pelikan, it's hilarious, but I like this quote that he gives. It, it essentially summarizes everything that I've been trying to say, which you're probably thinking, why don't you just start with this and then sat down afterwards? But it, it still is a great job of summarizing everything I've been trying to say. He says, if Christ is risen, then nothing else matters. And if Christ isn't risen, then nothing else matters. Because if the story of Easter is, is not true, then yeah, we are wasting our time here. You could have slept in today. But if the story of Easter is true, if this is real, then the only possible response is the one that we see these disciples take. Their lives are completely and utterly changed. It's the only possible response that we see Christians over 2,000 years doing, Christians around the world doing, people in this room doing, that our lives are spent in worship and thankfulness and delight and joy, that we have a Jesus who loves us this much. Because Easter is more than just the story of an empty tomb. It is the story of our alive Savior, our Jesus who is alive, that he is the alive Savior still to this day who rescues us, who gives us life in his death. He is our alive Savior who still to this day shows us what our future will be like with his raising. He is our alive Savior who still to this day keeps his promises, who is in control even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of suffering. He is our alive Savior who still to this day is Lord and control over all. Even what we would say is ordinary. As we go back to work tomorrow, which we should do. As we go to school tomorrow, which we should do. As we hunt for eggs, as we have meals, as we spend time with friends, as we do chores, as we prepare for this week. No matter what it is that we are doing, the truth of this passage is still and will always be true in every single moment. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has has risen. So rather than hearing the story and being perplexed or not believing it or marveling but just going about our day or thinking it's all too good to be true, I pray that this is a moment where our hearts start to burn within us, that the realization of what Jesus has done starts to settle in that we see how lavishly he has loved us, how he has come to restore all things, to restore people and the world and hope, that he demonstrates that what he does, he, uh, that he keeps his word with what he does, that he demonstrates he is more powerful than anything we will ever face, that this could be a moment where hope starts to bubble within us. 
that the truth of Easter starts to, to, uh, to stir up inside of us, that our eyes are open to the risen Savior who still to this day is alive, to the fact that this Jesus loved you so much that he died for you so that you might have life and hope and peace and joy in him. Because as we hear this story, what other response is there? Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful that you have done all this, that you have brought salvation, the ability for repentance and forgiveness of sins, not because of what we have earned, in fact, because of the opposite, that because we could not earn, we could not generate that within ourselves, you and you alone came and paid that price for us. That you demonstrate your power, your truthfulness, that you are still working to this day from the fact that the tomb is empty. So we spend today, we spend every day shaped by that truth. Our lives are transformed by that truth that you have come, that you have so completely loved us that we spend our days completely in awe, completely focused on what you have done. So it's to you and you alone that we pray. Amen.